The funeral is about to begin, sir. Good evening. You're listening to Morningside FM, the podcast where we talk all things phantasm. And we really have been talking all things phantasm. So far, we've discussed philosophy and funerals, but now I think it's finally time to get down to it, to discuss the original phantasm movie itself. Uh, Throughout the course of this podcast, I'm going to be uh, having deep dive discussions on each of the five films in the Phantasm franchise. And joining me now to discuss the original, the one where it all began, is Kevin Lyons. Uh, Kevin is an editor and researcher for the the BFI, uh, but I and many others know him for his fantastic work over at the Encyclopedia of Fantastic Film and Television. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So before we get down to all things phantasmagorical, just tell the listeners uh, a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm Kevin Lyons. I edit a website called eoffTV.com, which is the rather tongue-twisting encyclopedia of fantastic film and television. Back in 2001, when I launched it, that sounded like a good idea. I never thought I'd have to say it out <laughs> loud quite as often as I have recently. Um, but I've done lots of um, podcasts. You, if you're very unlucky, you'll have heard me droning on on things like uh, Evolution of Horror, yes. Journey Through Sci-Fi, my favourite film and so on. I do... Um, commentaries and booklets and when they're not when they're trying specifically to frighten the children they'll allow me on camera and uh, (laughs) I will actually sit there and have a a, a ramble on about things as I'm prone to do and as I will certainly be doing with this one fantastic and it's a wonderful website there have been some great reviews on there recently the uh, animated lord of the rings one I I have a real soft spot for that film Uh, and of course the (laughs) hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy Oh, well, everybody's got a soft spot for Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah, that's that's yeah. a gorgeous thing. Especially that TV series, you know, the visuals yeah. are just so striking. Yeah. It's so much better It's so much better than the very expensive feature film, to oh, be perfectly honest. so it's much. Like, terrible. Yeah, but the cheap old made it for 30p with a bit of sticky tape. That, that was great. <laughs> so talking of cheap old made for 30p with a bit of sticky tape, good old Phantasm. Yes, good old Phantasm. So, when did you first see this film? Well, I think I can narrow it down to the month, if not wow. the day. Because I'm, because I'm old, <laughs> I saw it when it was in cinemas, oh. first time around, September 1979. I'm so and, jealous. Ah, well, this is the one good thing about being old, is that you managed <laughs> to see all this stuff. And the late 70s was fantastic. I was living on the Isle of Wight at the time, where there uh, wasn't... There wasn't then, there isn't now much else to do, to be fair, except go to the cinema. And uh, some friends of mine owned a record store. I was, still am, a big record collector. They advertised in the local. Younger people may not know this, but when you used to go to the cinema, they used to give you a little free magazine. Yeah. Which was full of adverts for local businesses and not much else. You remember those? Yeah, they had them when I was very little, but then they, they tailed out. They did, they did. Well, this couple who owned this record store took out uh, an advert in the uh, magazine. They weren't really into films. They said, do you want the free ticket that comes with it, Kev? So every week I was going, and sometimes two or three times a week, because I'd go to different (laughs) cinemas and pretend I hadn't used it yet. Yeah, yeah. And Phantasm would have been one of those. And I think it was possibly on a double bill with the Groove Tube. Right. It was a kind of Kentucky Fried movie style sort of sketch comedy okay. thing. Um, 
It was on a double bill with something. And when I looked up on newspaper archives for September 79, that's what was showing with Phantasm. Right. And I know I've seen the Groove Tube, so I'm assuming that that's what I saw it with. <laughs> I was um, tender age of 17. Oh, fantastic. So actually too young to see it. Yeah. The, the good thing, again, the good thing about being old is back in the late 70s, no one gave a damn. <laughs> I, would, I was six foot five when I was 14, right. and I was born with what I believe the young people of today called the, the resting bitch face. <laughs> Basically, that, that, that expression that even when I'm fantastically happy, I've still got this expression of just sod off and leave me alone. Yeah. And I don't think anybody at the cinemas really wanted to argue with me, so they just let me in. No, not a problem like, yeah. getting in there. It wasn't, no. You see, when I was younger, we had to do the thing of, of buying a ticket for a 12 film, but then sneaking in <laughs> sneaking to the 18. <laughs> yeah. I to, to be honest, there were several times at uh, the one multiplex that we had on the island that I would use my pass to go in for the afternoon double horror double bill <laughs> and then just lurk around in the oh. toilets or somewhere nearby until the next film in the next screen started and go in and watch that as well. So uh, <laughs> Perfect. But hey, don't tell you... Don't tell anybody I did this. I'll get into terrible trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to Phantasm, it's a very divisive film mm -hmm. because there are some that say it makes no sense whatsoever because it's disjointed, there's no plot, and nothing makes any sense. Uh, but then the people who think it's a masterpiece say it's a masterpiece because it's disjointed, there is no plot, and nothing that happens makes any Absolutely. sense. Well, when you look at what, what else was out at that time in September 79, you've got things like John Badham's version of Dracula, now, no matter what you think of Dracula, it's a very traditional, very old-fashioned gothic horror mm, film. Yeah. It, the, 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 the latest um, John Carpenter, it wasn't Halloween. That had been and gone. It was Elvis the movie. You've got films like The Main Events, Quadrophenia. Yeah. The aforementioned Lord of the Rings was still in yeah. cinemas. And the yeah. first Mad Max. And the first Mad Max is the most conventional of all of them. Mm. And then suddenly Phantasm turned up. <laughs> And it was like, what the hell is this? Seriously, at the age of 17, I'd never seen anything quite like this. And it was on that first viewing, I think I, I had that kind of feeling that I think a lot of people have when they first see Phantasm. You're so perplexed by it all, you don't mm. actually know if you liked it or not. <laughs> because it's just so overwhelming, and it's just so odd, and it's so weird. You kind of sit there thinking... I genuinely don't know what to think about this. It was, so I went back. I went back later that week and watched it again just to be sure. I imagine so, in many ways you're still yeah. trying to work out what's going on with it and still re-watching. Oh, yeah. That's why we keep going back. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, those people who say, oh, it doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry, guys. I don't want it to make any sense. <laughs> no. If I understood it, they would be just another horror film you know I, we'll talk about the sequels later perhaps mm. but I, I find that the sequels are far more mundane they're far more horror films and they're yeah. good horror films yeah yeah, yeah. the second one especially yeah because I think the studio intervened and said you know it must have a linear plot no dream scenes must explain that's right yeah, yeah. no dream scenes it's plot yeah and none of that was what we wanted. Yeah, we didn't want that. We wanted the weirdness. We wanted all this crazy stuff happening. And that was what was so beautiful about it. Just sitting there in the yeah. cinema, scratching my head at the end, thinking, I honestly don't know. I think, I think I love it, but I'm not sure yet. <laughs> that, was, that was my first reaction. Well, it's interesting you should say that because um, you know, I didn't get to see it on the big screen, uh, although I did eventually in 2016 for the BFI uh, screening of the remastered version which is just oh absolutely incredible you know finally to have the opportunity to sit in a darkened cinema and you know watch it 
in the dark with Don Coscarelli sat behind me. I mean, oh, what an wow. Experience. But <laughs> Excellent. Back when I was a teenager, um, I saw it like many people did for the first time uh, by renting it on, on VHS. And, you know, I think Phantasm is, is the archetypal uh, cult video store horror in many ways. Um, and I was probably about 12 or 13 when I saw it. And it was a time in my life when I was kind of discovering all the classic horror films for the first time. And, uh, you know, I, I saw it in the same month, if not even the same week, as things like Halloween, Friday the 13th, uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. And in many ways, Phantasm was just one of the many horror films that I was enjoying. Uh, but it was only sort of as, as time crept on that I realized that that was the one that I kept thinking about. That was the one I kept going back to. And eventually that was the one that I bought on VHS and then just watched to death. Of course. I think, you know, when, when you have that morass of genre films, which we did late 70s, early 80s, there were a, sort of not, not quite like it is today where there's, you know, a horror film being released roughly every 30 seconds. But back then there was still a lot of films coming out. Um, yeah, it was the one that did stick out. It was the one that you went away sort of slightly nonplussed about what you'd seen, but you kept thinking about it. Yeah. And you kept thinking, that re- do you remember that? You know, you talked to your mates. Have you seen that really weird film? You know, the, the one with the ball <laughs> yeah. in it and the one, one with the, the girls having sex and kills yeah. a guy at the beginning. And, and everybody's going, oh, yeah, I remember yeah, that I remember one. That. Yeah. And nobody could remember what it was called at the time. <laughs> and nobody could remember the details, but they remembered it was just so weird. Yeah. It was just so unusual that they... It's interesting you should say that because in many ways it's sort of like when you wake up from a nightmare and you have this string of disjointed images that are really vivid, but you can't quite remember exactly what was going on and what was what was I doing? Well, you know, that's, that's right. And of course, you know, the whole film is very dreamlike. Yeah. It came to Coscarelli in a dream. Yeah. You know, he's, the genesis of it was that, you know, you've probably already spoken about this, but him having this nightmare of running down a marbled corridor being pursued by... By a flying ball, of course, yeah, and that becomes yeah. you know the central image, not only of the film but of the entire franchise. Yeah, um, he, he sort of that's what's so beautiful about that first one. It is like watching somebody else's dream. Yes, and you, you don't really get that with the later ones. Now, there's a simplicity about it that elevates it somehow. Uh, now we're talking about this film in the context of, of horror movies because it is a horror it movie. It is, um, yes. And it has, you know, all these quite sort of gothic trappings. But then, of course, we get three quarters of the way into the film and we have the Space Gate sequence. Now, I know you're a huge science fiction fan. I am. Uh, So, yeah, your reaction to the Red Planet. You know, when you think you're about to, I don't know, meet the devil or go into hell, but then it becomes transdimensional. Exactly. Well, you know, it's funny that around 79, 80, something like that, a lot of the films from, you know, much earlier on were still in circulation. And one of those films that was still in circulation was 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yes. Which I, again, the first time I saw it was on the big screen. And it oh, is my well. all time favourite film ever. Mm. It's the one film I'll go back to over and over again. And so, yeah, when, when you get these sort of space gate sequence, I'm thinking, hang on a minute, this guy knows his stuff. He's been watching the right films, hasn't he? Yeah, Don and was definitely a fan, yeah. A big fan, yeah, you can definitely tell that. And there were other kind of little references in it as well that, you know, the sort of strange shrunken slaves that mm. you find on the other side of the gate. They, I don't think they were directly influenced by Star Wars because, no. you know, the phantasm was in production for a long time but they are yeah. jowers yeah <laughs> but they were they jowers 
You know, they look just like Jawas. Yeah. It, it, I think in Coscarelli's mind, he was kind of thinking, you know, sort of cowled figures. They're more like the yes. Gothic monk type figures. Very much but so. But it's just one of those things. It just happened. It was just, you know, something of the zeitgeist, you know. And it was weird. Yeah, apparently, you know, they'd already been making Phantasm since 77. Then when the trailer for Star Wars came out and they saw the Jawas, Dom was like, oh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And of course, the other thing, you know, like you say, Don's dream yeah. about being pursued by the sphere. Now, in the dream, it never caught up with him mm-hmm. because that's that's what dreams are like. The, sure. the fear. That's, 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 that's the that's terror. Where, of yeah, it. that's the terror of it. Exactly. Um, but for the film, he had to think, well, what will happen when this sphere catches up with them? Uh, and his initial thought was a hypodermic yeah. needle. Uh, but then and of course, again in that Star Wars trailer, you get Darth yeah, Vader yeah, interrogating Leia right. <laughs> with the hypodermic needle in a floating <laughs> sphere. Uh, do you know, I'm not a great fan of Star Wars. I hold it personally responsible for a good many things that went wrong with cinema. And he's a good example. Poor old Don Coscarelli. <laughs> Poor Don. But there's another another big science fiction reference, of course, which doesn't always get picked up on, although it's, it's there, right there in front of us the whole time. Invaders from Mars? There hadn't... Well, Invaders from Mars is one, but there hadn't been a film made of it yet. But Dune. Of course. Dune is referenced several times. You've got Dune's Cantina. Yeah. Which is the name of the bar. Yeah. You've got the bit where he goes to see the psychic. Of course. And she makes him put his hand Hand in in the the box. box. Which is the Gomjabar scene. Yes. That's interesting. I, I don't know if David Lynch is a Phantasm fan or not, although I think at some point in every episode of this podcast, uh, somebody has used the word Lynchian. And with Phantasm, you sort of think, is it trashy or is it elevated or, or can it be both? It, it could be it could be whatever it wants to be. But I think it has yeah. that simple brilliance in terms of, you know, um, this, again, that simplicity of it, the, the, the purity of, of emotion and the idea that, you know, the, the scenes might ne- not necessarily flow together in, in any kind of linear or narrative sense. Um, but as individual set pieces, as moving paintings, you know, they're successful in evoking an emotion or a fear or something. Now, I think uh, David Lynch is sort of more skillful uh, that side of things. You know, he, he I think he knows exactly what he wants to achieve uh, and he achieves it. Uh, now, whether or not anybody else can understand it <laughs> is, is another matter. And I don't think he I don't think he cares, to be honest. He doesn't care whether we get it or not. That's not his job to make it understandable, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, But, you know, the last time I was watching Twin Peaks, I couldn't help but notice, you know, the red velvet drapes and, uh, you know, the the, the marble statues. And I thought, this is all very Morningside. It is. And then, of course, now, obviously, yeah, Don may have been inspired by the Dune novel. uh, uh, But then there's the film, which came afterwards. uh, But I do wonder if that's taking some visual cues from phantasm now i hesitate to um name check uh, david lynch as the director of the original june movie because he famously disowned it and i can understand that yeah i can understand that but if you watch those films you know the hand in the box uh, scenes side by side you know that the angles and the, the camera work is very indeed and you know it's, it's there in the novel but yes it is in the film it's much more in line with what you see in Phantasm. And of course, you know, everybody sort of says, oh, when we get to the, the, the desert planet on the other side of the Stargate, because there's Jawas, it, it must be Tatooine. But I think he was probably thinking, actually, it's Arrakis. You know, yeah. this is another reference yes. to, to Dune. So, the, you know, there are several references throughout mm. the film to, you know, a film that hadn't been made yet, but the book was hugely yeah. popular. And yeah. I just read the book around that time. So 
Phantasm was for me was kind of perfect. I'd just seen 2001. I'd read Dune. Oh, wow. Halloween had been out, so mm. horror was beginning to come back in, and it just suddenly this thing just dropped down in, into my lap, and it was like, just oh my all god, the right all these things that I sort of I don't all the right ingredients that I don't understand, but my god, it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it's really really good. So just going back to uh, I mentioned before the the wonderful mm. evolution of of horror podcast uh, and I it was a w- quite a while ago now back on their aliens season and you were talking about War of the Worlds just uh, yeah. in relation yeah. to you know the Red Planet and you were talking about the whole perceived commie threat that found its way into a lot of science fiction yeah, in, yeah. in the fifties and whatnot that's right yeah uh, and there was a phrase that you used uh, in terms of you know that 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 red threat and it being counter to the American way of life. Now, I don't think that's where Don's brain was at at all when, when coming up with Phantasm, but that choice of, of phrase, American way of life, uh, just struck a chord with me because when it comes to Phantasm, Don has often said that these films sort of came from his fascination with and fear of uh, the American way of death. And I thought, well... What could be more antithetical to the American way of life than the American way of death? And that's that's what the tall man is. That's what Phantasm death, is, isn't it? Exactly. But you know, we, you mentioned invaders from Mars earlier, and, the, and Phantasm definitely has that kind of feeling of that. And that was, of course, was very much part of that sort of Red Scare 1950s science fiction cycle. Like you say, I don't think it was what was on his mind when he was making this film. But sometimes you can you can find films in, something in films which clearly wasn't on the minds of the director but it's still there maybe it was subconscious you know like the jar was that just that zeitgeist you know yeah and of course you know so i'm sure there would have been people in america who would have watched phantasm and read the whole sort of they're turning them into slaves and shipping them off to you know to do something that we never do find out what yeah, it is that yeah. the, the tall man's trying to do with these slaves but he's doing something with them and you know that would have been seen very much as a kind of look they took being turned into these this faceless mass <laughs> yeah. of workers which you know some commentators would have read it as that i think in america mm, yeah. i think when i was 17 i was too busy trying to work out what the hell was going on and not cry <laughs> to be honest because i was just so confused by it all <laughs> well in terms of trying to work out what's going on i have to ask you this because because i've asked every guest on the podcast so far um <laughs> in your opinion who or what is the tall man i think the tall man is a manifestation of mike's subconscious okay i think what we're watching and for this to work we kind of have to ignore the twist ending mm. and we certainly have to ignore the sequels yeah but i do buy into the argument that it's it's basically it's a dream about a young boy trying to cope with grief yeah that's this is the my, most popular yeah. reading of the film i yeah. think and i think it's the one that makes the most sense and i think that the tall man is this kind of subconscious sort of thing that's sort of bubbling up inside i think probably he represents sort of personification of death that took his parents and which at the you know towards the end we find out took jody as well although yeah. you know that's that's slightly confusing <laughs> depending on which, which, which version, version you're yeah at. but <laughs> it's yeah so i think you know the tall man is death i think he's um he's the sort of the figure that took his took mike's family away and now it's coming for him and you know well you can you can understand now why you know, sort of Coscarelli said on a number of occasions that the target audience is quite young yeah, for Phantasm. Yeah. At 17, I was probably a little bit too old for it. Possibly. But, you know, I was quite <laughs> a naive 17-year-old. And 
I did sort of identify with Mike and this mm. sort of horrible trauma of you know and a few years later I did actually lose one of my parents and it was it, it kind of brought back some of those kind of feelings that, that Mike was having the struggle mm. of trying to understand the fear of being left alone and rejected yeah. and isolated and um, you know I think the tall man sort of quite literally strides through all of this as this figure of death yeah. pursuing him he knows that his parents have already gone he now understands that one day death is going to come yes. for him and you know it may be tomorrow he may live a long life we don't know but there he is and he's he's got his eyes on him already absolutely yeah and like we say it is this sort of coming of age thing for mike in terms of that realization um which i find interesting because don's previous film kenny and company was also a, a kind of uh coming of age film about young american boys sort of on on the cusp of adolescence and it's you know a far cry from phantasm it doesn't have the that sort of existential bleakness it's it's much more of a uh, i don't want to say cheesy film but it's it, it's very nostalgic it's it's very yes. light-hearted yeah. good-natured uh but it's poignant it's a lovely film actually i i do love it yeah yeah it's a lovely film but yeah it's a lot of the same cast as Phantasm too. You know, the fortune tellers in it, the fortune teller's granddaughter, uh, the caretaker who's killed by the sphere. That's right. Is in it, and it, obviously uh, my, a Michael Baldwin. Yeah. And in that respect, it could be seen as a kind of uh, perverse uh, prequel to Phantasm, which is this kind of um, you know sort of joyous coming of age film, uh, as opposed to Phantasm, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is all. Yeah, and destruction. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so unlike Kenny and Company, Phantasm is a coming-of-age film in the sense that it's, you know, it's 13-year-old protagonist realising that he's going to die one day. It's about that horrible moment when you realise that mortality is a thing. Yes, yeah. When you realise your parents won't be there forever mm. and then it hits you, that means I'm not going to be gonna here die forever. Too, yeah. You know, you're, you're very carefree up to a certain age, even <laughs> later than yeah. 17, I think. You don't, you don't think about death unless it's directly affected <laughs> no. you most people it doesn't mm. so you kind of wander along through life la 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 the only death you ever see is in a film and all the rest of it then one day it happens yeah. Some, somebody near to you dies and yeah that's what mike's going through he's going trying to process that loss and that yeah. grief and i think a lot of what we're seeing in the film is symbolic of him trying to deal with that that yeah. loss of loss of his parents yes and challenging it as well you know because that, back to the idea of the tall man as a personification of death yeah um you know this idea that death can be challenged or fought but then going back to don's dream that sort of you know which was the the germ of the whole thing it, it's fundamentally a fear of pursuit yeah and you can't get away yeah i know and viewed through that phantasm lens the thing that's pursuing you is your own creeping mortality exactly it's going to come and get it's going to get you no matter how hard or fast or far you run it will catch you it's going to come to you eventually it's going to get you yeah and i think that um the you know the reason uh it appeals to younger viewers so is that you have this character of mike especially when i you know first watched it as a 13 year old boy i was the same age as this uh, plucky mm -hmm. young protagonist although he was infinitely cooler than i was because you know he he drove a car he rode yeah, a bike yeah. drank beers yeah. he could macgyver his way out of a, a locked room with a hammer a bullet yeah. <laughs> and um, a drawing pin uh, and he's prepared to do battle with death 
Actually, in an upcoming episode of the podcast, uh, Zowie Swan and I are going to be talking about sort of a, f- a phantasm viewed through a, a, a feminist lens, as it were, and kind of examining the film's, especially that first film's portrayals of kind of gender and gender stereotypes, gender roles and whatnot. And one of the things that we're going to talk about that we kind of came to the realisation of throughout our chat was that... Um, Unlike a lot of films of that time, Phantasm doesn't have your traditional damsel in distress. No, no, no. Or rather, it does, but it's Mike. He he is the damsel, and yet he rescues himself. You know, like the uh, aforementioned hammer hammer scene, and I think that's why why he's so endearing. Uh, but also, it's because you know that battling the tall man as death even though it's this coming of age realization he hasn't quite had that penny drop moment that that you mentioned because he kind of he's he, he's learned that he's going to die one day but he hasn't accepted it yet and uh, you know i think of course. that's that's so so much of the appeal is bound up in 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 that struggle you know that defiance and i think when you're young you do think you're invulnerable you know, you how many times think back on it now and shudder at the stupid things we did when we were kids, and you think now as as a grown adult, yeah, more or less, you kind of think, you know, like what the hell was I? Yeah, I yeah. wouldn't dream of doing half the things I did as a kid. My parents used to let me because I I was quite into aircraft, and we right. lived at the time we lived um, very near Birmingham Airport. This oh yeah, pre yeah. Isle of Wight. And they used to let me in the summer holiday, me and my mate next door, cycle up a motorway to get to, or a big dual carriageway to go to the airport, go oh play spotting. We were like, you know, 11 or 12 or something. He's like, what, what the hell were you thinking? I wouldn't dream of doing that now. No. <laughs> Just no. But, you know, I think, you know, we are very sort of blasé about death when we're younger. Mm. You know, we, we, we do it, don't we? We all used to play sort of, you know, sort of soldiers or something. Yeah. Someone would shoot you and you'd go, ah, and you'd fall over. And that was it. That was death. You know, that's because that's what that's what we saw on television. That was my favourite you know, game we, we to play. Saw, you know, be the baddie and get shot. Blah, fall down dead. Shot. Die. And then you get up again and keep on playing. Yeah. And so, suddenly at some point you do get that horrible realisation in real life. People fall over and they don't get back up exactly, again. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the really sad moment where we really stop being kids. Yes. Is when we realise just how final... Oh, yeah. My God, this has taken a morbid turn, hasn't it? Oh, <laughs> well, it's God. a film but about it, funerals it, and death. Yeah, but that, exactly, and that's why you know that's why it needed to be set around a funeral parlour. Yeah, absolutely. Because of that, you know, sort of the finality of it all, and this yeah. young boy trying to come to grips with that. Yeah, and you know, interestingly, lots of horror films obviously uh, are about death and have lots of death in them. Um, but in Phantasm, it seems you know more prevalent as as a theme. You know, it it really has that sense of that 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 creeping dread. Oh, of course. You know, there's there's blood and guts and 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 death in in lots of other horror films. Lots of other horror films from around that period. Sure. Um, but often the deaths in those films were you know like the kind of uh, childhood games you mentioned of of falling down and and playing dead yeah whereas with phantasm it, it feels more real even though it's a very surreal film uh you know the, the sense of loss in it especially at the end with jody but even earlier on with with tommy and how his death has clearly affected uh you know reggie and jody and and their whole dynamic of course and in fact you know you thought about you know the blood and gore it's surprisingly little in it until we get to the sphere mm, bit, yeah, you know, yeah. the, the scene that, that's the sort of the goriest nastiest bit in it but you know there is this sort of pervasive feeling that something 
Yes. Is coming for Mike. Yeah. It may not be the tall man. There may be something <laughs> no. else out there. It may be, you know, the, the, the lavender lady. It might be one of the little, little jawa type yeah. creatures, but something's coming for him. Well, something's going to get him. Funnily enough, one of the few films uh, in recent years, or, or indeed ever, that's actually reminded me of Phantasm. And it's not very much like Phantasm, uh, but It Follows has that strange, similar uh sort mm. of it, it has the nightmare logic yeah um but also you know that 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 fundamental theme of pursuit yes and i think in both films the pursuit is that idea of of your own mortality you know it's it's always coming for you yeah and you can't escape from it no matter what you do it's no. going to keep on coming and exactly. you talk about yeah. the sort of the nightmare logic one mm. of the great things about um phantasm that I find is, you know, so I know people who say, oh, you know, it's not a very logical film, is it? <laughs> yes, it is. It's yeah. perfectly logical. It's just its own logic. Yes. It creates a world, a sort of dream world mm-hmm. that it happens in. But everything is totally consistent within that. We don't yes. see anything that cheats. You know, there's a lot of things, you know, you'll, you'll get things... Um, sort of set up earlier on like like at the when he's at tommy's funeral yeah on his motorbike and he sees something running behind one of the gravestones of course yeah, and that's yeah. setting up the little figures from later on in the film. yes yeah. so it's all consistent it all makes sense you can sit and watch it and nitpick it all you like it still holds together <laughs> yeah it does but it, it just does. holds together in a way that we don't recognize because it's exactly. set in this dream world of death it's not set in the real world of course yeah i um i co-host another podcast a monthly book discussion podcast and uh, recently we discussed boneland by ellen garner and there's a wonderful line in there about how uh, science and fairy tales can both be real and both be true um and yet they exist in different spheres so the laws of one don't necessarily apply to the other but that doesn't yes make it that's, not real you and know. that's phantasm to a t and that's you know it's also david lynch david lynch's films don't make any sense if you try and apply real world logic no. to them <laughs> they only work if you buy into the fact that this is its own self-contained yes. world yeah we've yeah entered, and then it makes perfect sense and that's you know i think one of the reasons why people um keep comparing phantasm to lynch is the fact they have got these fantastically well thought out self-contained worlds yeah that yeah they do make perfect sense yeah, I, th- th- yeah. this whole idea it doesn't make any sense it does <laughs> you just kind of pay attention and just give up give give up any attempts at trying to locate it in the real world exactly yeah you know, that suspension yeah. of disbelief yeah exactly anyway uh, you mentioned earlier uh that you were a record collector mm-hmm. and it feels wrong to talk about Phantasm without of mentioning course. What a score, what a score. superb score by Fred Myro and Malcolm Seagrove. And Malcolm Seagrove didn't really do much else. He did a couple of the, the sequels. He had, you know, I think he's credited on that, possibly because he wrote some of the themes. Yeah. yeah. Fred Myro was actually quite quite a prolific, proper yes. um, composer. Yeah, yeah, He'd yeah. done Soylent Green. Do you remember oh, Soylent Green course, in 1973? Yeah. I forgot that. Yes. Yeah. So he was a proper composer. Wow, and yeah. He sort of, apparently, according, according to the things I've read, that he was um, said to have been influenced by Goblin yeah. and Mike Oldfield. Yeah, I can hear of that. Of course he was influenced <laughs> by Goblin and Mike Oldfield. You only have to listen to, like, you know, two yeah. bars of it, and you can hear it. You know, it's like that, that tinkling piano. Oh, yeah. It's not a rip-off of Halloween. No, it's, no, no. It's, it's a nod it's towards tubular bells, more, yeah. tubular bells. And, of course, you know, wonder where he got the idea for putting tubular bells into a horror film from. Hmm. Mm. Let me think about that. But yeah, so you know, it, it's it's a gorgeous score, absolutely fantastic, and it's one of those that 
works really well. It's a rare one because it works really well even when you're just listening to the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. You don't yeah. have to have the film on. No, it not at all. It works a piece of music. No, I've, I've got it on, on vinyl and many evenings I'll, I'll just put the music on and, and lose myself in it. Um, it's a gorgeous sort of gatefold edition uh, and there are some liner notes in there written by Don. Uh, and he says, uh, and this is really great in terms of that, you know, abandoning all hope of, of, of narrative cohesion. He said, you know, treat yourself, put this score on and put the film on and just have the, the movie playing in silent uh, in the background. And it's a really, it's a fantastic experience. It's just like a sort of, it's an immersive sensory thing, isn't it? Yes. It's sort of, you know, it's yes. like this sort of battering of the senses. Oh, yeah. sort of gorgeous, you know, I'm... I, I'm sorry, the, the punks out there will go mad, but I'm a big prog rock fan. So obviously, you know, 1979, I heard this bit of music and I thought, oh my God, this, this, this is every Mike Oldfield Genesis Yes album I've ever yep. heard all come together in this yep. horror film. Fantastic, you know? Yeah. Well, so, interestingly, like, you know, the, the Goblin, Suspiria uh, influence is yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, obvious. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Mike Oldfield. Um, but one thing I didn't know until recently, I think when I read Don's book, is that he gave the composers Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah and said make it sound yeah. like this and once i like knew that, that yeah. i could hear it you know when those drums yeah. kick in it could be time couldn't it you it know could absolutely yeah they, you could they they don't go out of their way to hide their influence no and nor no. should they no because no. you know every musician has their influence yeah you know it's um you know i i, I played in bands and stuff and we we went yeah. around telling people oh no 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 we don't sound like anybody else while doing our best Led Zeppelin impression you know it's like <laughs> yes of course everybody sounds like somebody else N nothing is created in a vacuum and these guys you know this was 1979 mm -hmm. they were probably working on it a little earlier than that even because it took so long to make they would have grown up I think they started in 77 yeah so they would have grown up at the sort of the height of this kind of progressive rock yeah sort of thing so all of this music would have been all around them all the time it would have seeped in of course consciously or not it yeah, would be in yeah. there and of course it would come out when they start to play and, mm. you know there's nothing there's nothing nothing spookier than a good prog rock song to be oh, honest no, you know no. they could be very atmospheric <laughs> so um yeah and of course there's music in the film itself oh yeah you know the boundaries blur in the bar scene there's like a disco rendition yeah. of the phantasm theme which jody is then later whistling yeah it's so meta <laughs> you know <laughs> Of the Phantasm theme tune. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and of course, you know, D D Reggie and, and, and Jodie are, you know, Jodie wants to escape the small town. Yeah. To go back to playing in a band. Yeah. I was 17 years, years old living on the Isle of Wight playing in a band. I mean, this guy was my hero. <laughs> of course. You know? Okay, he was... He was a bit of a shit, to be honest, because he was going to leave poor old Mike and sort of dump him on his aunt and all the rest of it. Yeah. But as a 17-year-old, I totally got it. I wanted oh, to leave yeah. the Isle of Wight. I wanted to get away from the big city and yeah. be a rock and roll star and yeah, all the I rest of it. Yeah, we all did, so I, yeah. I could totally get that. And there is a really lovely bit where him and Reggie are bonding, just sitting outside with their guitars. <sighs> Just, just playing sitting it here at midnight. It's a lovely little moment. It is, and I think you know that that divides people. People who like Phantasm, people who don't. Some people would watch that and say, you know, what was the point of that? It didn't further the the film in any way. But others would say that's the heart of Phantasm. That's what it's all it's, about. It it, do, it does further it because it it's you know so Reggie's kind of the outsider in yes. this setup, and by the end he is the sort of the surrogate big brother, mm. and this is him sort of this is this is Coscarelli say, look, he is part of the team. Yeah, he's part of the little gang. You know, he's, he's, he's an integral part of it because they, the, the the two older guys share this kind of love of music and particular yeah. kind of music. And you know, Mike looks up to Reggie in the same way yeah. he looks up to Jody. And that's one of the lovely things about 
phantasm, I think, for all the weirdness, for all the surrealism and strangeness, it's actually about three blokes who love each other. Yes, it and is. And there's no yeah. sort of shame about these guys actually no, no, being no. really good friends and brothers. And, you there's, know, it's like... There's a real warmth to there it. There is a real warmth. Yeah. It's very rare in horror films. You know, you, you'll often get a bunch of guys who are horsing around and sort of, you know, yeah. being a bit leering. And in later films, Reggie gets a little bit like that. I think. <laughs> he he does becomes a, a bit... Yeah. You know, yeah. he's permanently randy in the sequels <laughs> and he's always trying to, trying to you know, have sex with something. But um, Yeah, as I've got older, those have been the elements of the films that have, have bothered me a little bit more than they did when I was younger, it's, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was really interesting, actually. In my first episode, uh, I spoke to mary wilde oh yeah and she kind of saved it for me with her take on that uh that uh, <laughs> that reggie uh stands in permanent opposition to the tall man sure uh, who's completely sexless and he's just preoccupied with death uh and so reggie exists uh, as the life force to the tall man's death he drive does. yeah and that idea that you know his his permanent quest to get laid yeah, it's cringeworthy to watch occasionally some some of the bits in the sequels, but fundamentally it represents something quite pure, which is just to carry on living, you know. Well, I, I read somewhere once years ago, I'm not sure how true this is, but I read it once years ago that people can often find at funerals that they're actually quite feeling quite sexy. Yeah, I, I'd read um, that. I've read that, yeah. Yeah, the thinking was that because death has taken away life, mm. something has triggered inside us. We want to create new life. Exactly, yeah. To show death that we can still do this. Yes. And maybe that may... I think she's got a point there. I yeah. think, you know, to Reggie, for all his blustery, macho nonsense <laughs> and all the rest of it, I think he's just behaving in this way that, like, death is coming for us or... So before it comes here, let's try and create something new. Some exactly. New life, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe I'm letting him off the hook, I don't know, but it kind of feels right. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, Reggie aside, and again, this is quite crass, so I apologise to any listeners out there, but uh, I've read that apparently um, a hanged man will get an erection just before he dies. Yes. And it, it yeah, it's just that idea of like the body trying one last desperate to, to, attempt. Yeah, to, to perpetuate my line, my to carry on, yeah, on yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... You know, given that, you know, it is all very funerary and mm. it was, is all about death and the end of things, I think, you know, sort of maybe it's slightly clumsy, but yes, I think that yeah, is what's happening with Reggie, that maybe he is just trying to, you know, on the other hand, he might just be a randy little sod who's got may no self-control, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's up to the individual <laughs> viewers. So, I know. think it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting, you know, that that positive male friendship uh, and that love between the characters you know, stands in stark opposition to, you know, the, the the bleak elements of the film that we were talking about earlier, that it's all about funerals and death and loss and grief. And yet it's not a depressing film. It's it's a film that's full of warmth and it's, it's dreamlike, it's surreal and maybe even, you know, psychedelic. But I think that palpable sense of the characters' love for one another is, is you know, why Phantasm has kind of stood the test of time in many ways. I think in the last decade or so, there's been this tendency to make characters as dislikable as possible in horror films. In fairness, I'm not even entirely sure it's just been in the last decade or so. I mean, mm. I can remember in the 70s and particularly the early 80s when I yeah. was watching probably more slasher films than was sensible for anybody, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. You know, the characters in it were so 
awful. Like you, you yeah. just wanted them to die. The big <laughs> difference in Phantasm, I think, is you don't want them to die. Are you really root for you them? Know, even even Mike, and you know, sort of God knows how many sort of young teenagers we saw in those slasher movies yeah. who were playing jokes on people who just been bloody annoying. Mm. You were just kind of hoping that Freddie had catch up with them or Jason yeah, had slaughtered them or whatever. <laughs> yeah, in this one. Yeah. He's not like that at no, all. No, not at you, all. You're totally with Mike yes. the whole time. Because of the trauma he's suffered, mm. we understand him. We get him. And he's a very likable character. You know, that clinginess, you know, that uh, yeah. even the sort of the weird sort of creepy scenes like him <laughs> spying on his brother yeah, when he's yeah. having sex with the, the, you know, that's actually... I, again, I'm not justifying this, and I'm not owning up to anything. Honest, I was the older brother, so I, I can get away with yeah. this. But I think you know, when you're 13, you're so fascinated by sex. Yeah. It doesn't matter who's doing it. If you see someone doing it, you want to watch it. You because you don't understand it. It's kind of like he's just yeah, curious. Curiosity. You've got all these sort of hormones flowing, but you're not quite sure what it all means yet. Yeah, yeah. But I also think that Mike has this, uh, you know, almost a fear of of sex uh, or sort of fear of uh, female sexuality because he fears that that's the thing that will will take his brother away from him. Exactly. So, you know, even when he's being a bit creepy by modern standards... I can kind of understand him. Okay, yeah. that's probably tarred me with a brush now, and I'll probably be known as that creepy <laughs> bloke from the, the podcast. But no, I, I, too, I do, I totally get it. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. And I think that, you know, the intention behind these films has always been, uh, you know, very innocent. Um, and, you know, Phantasm has a massive female fan base. Um, Although there are some people who say, "Oh, you know, the, these are just films for guys," you know, uh, and I can I can see why. I mean, I I don't agree, and I know lots of women who don't agree with that. But on the one hand, I can see you know because you've got this this sort of very male driven franchise, and again, in this first film, we we have the, the these these three uh, main male characters. But I don't really see that as in any way a negative thing in Phantasm because, like you say they love each other and and they're honest about that and you know they're quite whatever the opposite of toxic masculinity is you know they have this this really positive relationship and i think they're, they're positive role models and we're so affected by reggie's apparent death near the end of the film and then we have this sort of roller coaster of emotions where you find out that actually it was a dream and there's reggie he's still alive but it's jody who's died and it is so affecting. But then you get that moment with, with, with Reggie, you know, hugging Mike and saying, uh, you know, I, I know I can't ever take Jodie's place, but I'm sure as hell going to try. And it's just so, so lovely. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? And, you know, you get you get a very similar scene right at the end, at the end of Ravager, which is not a yeah. film I'm particularly fond of, I have okay, to say, okay. the, the final film. But you do get that wonderful bit of circularity where the, when you first meet um reggie and jody they're saying what a way to break up a trio and at the end they're saying what a what a way to start Start a trio trio. yeah it is that kind of i I think i may have something in my eye and we could we could witter on all we like about yes it's a bit of a sausage fest it's all (laughs) blokes and all the rest yeah i think sometimes when it's done like this yeah when it's done with real warmth and it shows that sort of male friendships and male relationships can be positive mm. and nurturing yes. and protective. I don't see there's a problem in that. I think we should have more of those. Definitely, frankly. definitely. You know, yeah. Less of the sort of the bro hijinks bro that horror. you get in all yeah, the slasher yeah. movies. M- much more like these three guys who are they they adore each other. They you do. Know, they, have these, they have strange ways of showing it because yeah. they're men. That's what we do. We can't show. Them. 
we can't show our emotions for rubbish, but they do love each other. Repress your emotions and instead have spheres, nightmares exactly. about being pursued by spheres. I mean, you know, if we want to really get into it, it's a man being pursued by his balls, isn't it? So, I mean, you know, there's, there's probably something in that, but let's not go probably down that route. Probably shouldn't go there, no. Days, but, but yeah, I think, you know, yeah, I just, I do like the idea that these guys are very likeable and they care about each other. Yes. And that is, you know, so rare in a horror film. It you is, know, it really is, good. isn't it? Yeah. And I think, you know, even though there are elements of it that are dated because it was made in, in the late 1970s, I think that, you know, that is why the film still appeals to so many people. Of course. And any film, to be honest, any film is dated about 30 seconds after it's been released. Yeah. You know, it's inevitable. That's just the, the march of time. But I think Phantasm still works. Mm. I think you can still watch it. There are moments in there, you know, some of the humour is a little bit late 70s, you know, the bizarre shot of, of Jody with the, with the woman's knickers in his mouth, you know. <laughs> they think, oh, please, guys, come on, that was crap in 1979. It doesn't fly now. But a lot of it, you could watch it now. And I did. I, I watched it just last night. Oh, wow. And it still works. Yeah. It still works. It still, it doesn't feel particularly late 70s, a lot of it. It just feels kind of timeless. Well, I was worried when I watched the 4K restoration version that um, it would have lost something in translation. You know, cause sometimes, especially things from, from the 70s, mm. uh, when when they're sort of spruced up digitally, yeah, yeah, yeah. they lose some of the magic somehow. Sure. Uh, and I think that when you lose that that fuzziness... You become aware of sort of dodgy props yeah, or yeah, wobbly yeah. sets. Uh, so I was I was a little bit worried about seeing Phantasm exposed like that. But it was fantastic. It was absolutely brilliant. I think, you know, that, that Morningside mausoleum set is so well made. It just looked fantastic on it's the big beautiful. screen. And of course, because it's set in a dream world dream worlds don't don't age no doesn't have to look real doesn't have to look you know it can be a little bit fuzzy here and there it can be a little bit sort of like that doesn't quite yeah i don't quite understand the geography of the mausoleum that's right you shouldn't understand the the geography of the mausoleum and you know it's it it helps with the aging process i don't think it's anywhere aged anywhere near as badly as a lot of films from 1979 oh in fact a lot of films from the 90s where they start using terrible cgi oh yeah uh, they look terrible by 2005 even you know look I, i think to be honest it's more timeless than a lot of the sequels yeah, yeah. I think the sequels look more of their time than Phantasm does. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of the, of the franchise, you know, and all the sequels. But obviously, the the original will always hold that special place in my heart. And and I, I do like Phantasm two a lot. But yeah, it looks like uh, a bigger budget uh, studio horror movie. Uh, and I think in in many ways that's its charm. But it you know it's got more yeah, action. It's got sure. more. Uh, gore, yeah, yeah, more yeah, special yeah. effects. You know, yeah. it looks like an eighties action horror movie. You of know. course, whereas the original yeah. is more timeless. Um, but for me, the only one of the sequels that really came close and came very close uh, for me to recapturing that 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 magic and and that that sort of surrealism of the original uh, was the fourth film. Yes. Oblivion, yeah. And it had a much slower budget than two and three, which I think kind of gave it its strength. And, and there were, of course, there was there was footage from 1979 in yes, there, wasn't there? Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Wasn't it... Th- it was three hours long, three wasn't hours it, long. the original cut of <laughs> yeah. Phantasm? And they said, no, 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 you yeah. can't do that. And so, you know, we, we now need to make it our job to go out there and hunt down these stupid executives who robbed us of an hour and a half I of Phantasm, know. you know. But, you know, they made him cut it down, which I think, to, in fairness, in retrospect, probably added to the dreamlike qualities. I think so. You yeah, know, yeah, I think yeah. if we... 
some of the footage that we do see later in the series that was shot around there, you think, oh, you're explaining stuff. Right, okay. Now I understand now why that's gone, because I didn't need to know that in 1979. It wouldn't have worked. Yeah, it's the thing we've we've talked about before, about how, you know, the the non-linear surrealist nature Mm. of it only adds to its charm uh and i think that yeah with with all those scenes that were cut you end up with this very strange progression from scene to scene without necessarily just like a dream effect just like a dream uh, your dreams suddenly jump from one thing to the next without any you know context or stuff you know yeah 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 works perfectly but in terms of its legacy, uh, what sort of influence do you think that Phantasm has had on the sci-fi horror genre? Well, I think um, straight off the bat, I think you'd have to say that Wes Craven watched it and yeah. liked it. Because I think we can see so much of uh, of it in Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, definitely. All the yeah. dream sequences look like they could have come from, from that. You know, mm. you've got um, Freddy chopping his fingers off. Yeah. And of course, you know, we got this, you know the strange fingers business in Phantasm. So I think yeah. that's definitely in there. I would like to have thought that it had more of an influence than it did. Mm. I would like to have seen a lot more films being as daring yeah, as Phantasm. Yeah. Um, I think it was one of those films that was so odd. And again, you know, sorry, we're going to come back to David Lynch, aren't we? I, I kind of <laughs> promised myself beforehand I wasn't going to mention David Lynch because everybody talks about David Unavoidable. Lynch when it comes to Phantasm. But <laughs> I think, yeah, it's, it's like with David Lynch, you... You can't make a David Lynch film. No. And I don't think you can make a Phantasm, to be honest. I think only <laughs> I think Ravager kind of proved that. There are there are bits in Ravager that I liked, but because Don Coscarelli didn't direct it, <laughs> I think only Don Coscarelli can make a Phantasm film. There's something in that man's brain. There's something that's not quite wired up right, thank God. <laughs> and you know, it that's what this sort of weird little sort of imaginative short circuit yeah. gave us Phantasm. And I think Nobody tried to copy it, I don't think, not directly, because how could you? How could you? How, how yeah. could you replicate that? There you have know? been so many threats over the years from studios wanting to remake it or reboot it, and I'm so glad that Don has always held on to creative control of that franchise in you know over 40 years. I think if they do... If they did, I think it'd be a race between me and you to hunt them down and kill them before they could actually get get the first scene shot. You know? well, absolutely. Like, do not touch yeah. this film. There are some films you'd never, ever try to remake. Phantasm, yep. Jaws, The Exorcist. Yes, I know they're going to try. Oh, but, God, yeah. you know, these are films you should never, ever touch. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. Don't ever touch them. They are perfect as they are. You can't. The arrogance of someone who watches Phantasm and thinks, you know what? I, I can, can do, do better, better than that. Yeah. No, you can't. I, I can promise no. you right now. I don't care who you are, unless you're Don Coscarelli, you cannot do better than Phantasm. I'm sorry. It's perfect as it is. Leave it alone. Just don't touch it. So there we have it. Good old Phantasm, made for 30p with a bit of sticky tape, and it's perfect and untouchable. Kevin, thank you so much for talking with me tonight. Oh, it's been a pleasure. No, it's been great. And thanks for going out of your way for watching Phantasm last night. It must have been such a chore. Oh, it was, it was such hard. Well, I cannot tell you the, <laughs> the torment and terror I had to go through to watch Phantasm. In fact, you know, I'm so traumatised by it, I might have to watch it again next week. But, yeah, you know, yeah, it's the only thing I think I should. Yeah. <laughs> 
Listen, Kevin, before I let you go, I'm going to uh, put you on the spot, like I do with all okay. my guests, uh, with a question from this unauthorised okay. Phantasm <laughs> quiz book by Killian H. Gore. So here we go. The word phantasm was used frequently in the works of which famous horror writer? A. Oh, that would be Edgar Allan Poe, <laughs> wouldn't it? There you go. Yeah, he didn't even need this. Look at that. Multiple need, choice. Need, no, I, I tell it. you what, you don't, you don't get to be an old fart like me. <laughs> just, just turn 60 and not know a few things, you know. That's what, again, one of the few joys of being old is you know this stuff. It's, it's Brilliant. Stuck. Simple stuff like, where did I leave my phone? <laughs> or why did I forget to go shop for food today? Hopeless. Phantasm from Edgar Allan Poe. The oh, yeah, yeah. Stuff. The important stuff. Yeah. Of course. You know, that stays there forever. Because the original working title was Morningside. It was indeed. Yeah, and then yeah. they, I think, uh, yeah. Reggie and Don. Oh, Poe keeps using this word phantasm. And, and you know, there is also that sort of, sorry, just to keep rambling no, on. A little no, bit no, more. no. Phantasm is that sort of combination of fantasy and orgasm. Of course. So it brings yeah. us back to the whole sort of sex and death thing. Absolutely, yeah. And of course, it, it was released in Australia as uh, The Never Dead mm-hmm. uh, because there was already a softcore porn film called Phantasm. There was Phantasm, Phantasm with an F rather yeah. than a PH. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yes, there you yeah. go. Fantasy and orgasm. Yeah, there, there you, you have go. It. <laughs> what, a, what a note to end on. Perfect. <laughs> right, Kevin, where can people find you online? They can find me all over the place eofftv that's the name of my main website says eofftv review you can find me on facebook under eofftv you can find me on twitter eofftv um i to be honest i'm never far away i'm sort of i i I keep turning up like a bad penny on things i don't quite know why people keep asking me back to drone on about things but they do so i'm always around somewhere but come and come and say hello on facebook or or twitter and um, we can talk about Phantasm to your heart's content then. fantastic Kevin thank you so much for joining me thank you thanks once again to my guest Kevin Lyons do definitely check out his encyclopedia of fantastic film and television it is a remarkable site and check out his Phantasm article on there while you're at it Anyway, talking of positive, nurturing and protective male friendships, join me next time when my guest will be my oldest friend and co-host of uh, my other podcast, A Book at Breakfast, Mark Charlesworth, and he will be joining me to discuss Kate Coscarelli's legendary phantasm novelization. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at PhantasmPod and subscribe to Morningside FM wherever you get your podcasts.